um, getting into a new series today. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, um, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, I want to challenge you, if you've been part of our church for any length of time, uh, you've heard some of the same thoughts that you will hear today. Uh, this is not just reprinted, uh, but it is retooled for us. I believe with all of my heart that there's a structure um, to what God wants to direct our church into. And I believe with all of my heart that he wants us to study regularly the Holy Spirit. So today, as we launch into this new series on the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us up to the holidays, um, how many of you are excited about some of that chill in the air that you felt at a couple different days? And I'm excited uh, for the seasons to be changing. Uh, but as we get into this series, um, I'm going to tell you and share with you some things uh, that you may have never thought of. And so I want to have you have an open mind and an open heart today as we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I guess I titled it this question, which is, who is he? I want to tell you a little bit about who he is in this first message so that it lays out for us why he behaves the way he does and what he does for us as believers later on in this series. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go with me to the book of John. We'll be there shortly, but I just kind of want to give you an idea. If you're taking notes today, or if you want to jot this down to remember what passage to study, John chapters 14, 15, and 16 are Jesus's introduction of the Holy Spirit to his disciples, like a full-on introduction, because these are his last days with them on the earth. So in chapter 14, Jesus is at the Last Supper. Um, speaking of the Last Supper, we still have an ordinance in our church that we call communion. We observe Jesus' death and we look forward to us ourselves, we ourselves being resurrected with him eventually in new life out of this place, amen, and on to an eternal home with him. So Jesus is at the Last Supper. In chapter 14, verse 31, he tells, he tells them, arise and let us go from here. Then in chapter 15, they arrive at the Mount of Olives. And what he's basically telling them is, before his crucifixion happens, that I'm going away, but I will not leave you alone. Amen. That is so amazing when you consider that God's desire, no matter how hopeless you felt, no matter how lonely you've been, God's desire is that you would never be alone. People let us down, people walk into our lives, people leave our lives, we leave people's lives. But let me just tell you this, our God is faithful and he wants to be with you, amen? So Jesus is telling his disciples, don't worry, don't fear, I'm going to send you someone else. And I really think that if we were to look through all of scripture, we would find echoes of this same thought that God wants to be present with his people and not just with, but in fact, in Ezekiel chapter 36 in verse 27, listen to how it's phrased. 
God speaking through the prophet to the people, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Something just occurred to me right now in the moment of the reading of this, that when God says he, puts his, he wants to put his spirit inside of you, there is no expiration date. He's not here as a band-aid to fix a wound and then you peel it off and the wound is fixed. That is not the case. God wants to be with you, past, present, and future. Think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden having conversations with God on the daily. Think about God speaking to prophets and priests in the Old Testament and his desire to speak to his people. And then think about how God sent his son to the earth in order to die and resurrect for you and I. And Jesus on his way out said, it's okay that I'm leaving you because if I didn't, then you wouldn't get the Holy Spirit. He says, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can be with you and in you. So look at John chapter 14 verses 16 and 17. It says here, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Everybody say the word another. Thank you, kids. Another helper to be with you, and the word appears forever. No expiration date, forever. That means the Holy Spirit is going to be with us who are believers forever. Amen? So... Verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Talking to his disciples, he says this, you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. This is the promise of Christ to his disciples. So here's something interesting. If you've never heard this thought before, I want to talk to you about the person of the Holy Spirit today, and I want to challenge you to find any place in Scripture where the person of the Holy Spirit is referred to as an it. There's never an occurrence of it. There's not a single place that calls the Holy Spirit an it or just a thing. He is a personal being. He possesses a mind Will and emotions. The Holy Spirit wants to demonstrate his power, God's power in our lives. If you see him as a thing and not as a person, you will never desire to build a relationship with him. I love my car. I don't have a relationship with my car. It's a thing. It's not a person. If we talk and if we grow up from yay high to this, where we are now today, in the the halls and within the four walls of a church, thinking about the Holy Spirit as some ethereal it, then we will never cry out to God in prayer, Holy Spirit, I need you. Because we won't have a relationship with him. And the truth is, we develop relationships with people. Amen? So we've got to understand that he's a personal being. The words another that we read in verse 16 and forever help us understand that Jesus was our helper while on earth and he finished his mission, but the Holy Spirit is our helper in his absence. 
This is a powerful thought when you really absorb it. So what I'm saying is this. He's not like the milk that you bought this weekend that has a two-week expiration date. God's desire from the very beginning of creating a human family was that he would be with them. And he can do that even today, thousands of years after Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let me show you three quick places in chapter 14 through 16 that show us that the Holy Spirit is a personal being. John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26 says this, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Look at chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Look up at me and listen to me. I'm very sorry if this steps on your toes and hurts your feelings, but I'm telling you, the church of Jesus Christ is not all introverted and can't be blaming the lack of discipleship and evangelism in the world on the fact that that's not in my comfort or my wheelhouse. I think the church of Jesus Christ is lacking the Holy Spirit. I think that's what you're lacking in your life when you give in to the temptation to keep yourself quiet and not bring Christ up in a conversation with someone that you feel that urge, but then you shut it off. I really, truly believe that. And that's not me trying to guilt you and lay on you shame and disdain. It's for you to understand that what you truly need exists outside of you, but it can live inside of you. This is so good. For us to focus on. Because I believe even our church. When I say the church at large. But even our church. Can brush up on these things. Amen. Amen. I better hear a louder amen. Amen. That's right kids. And kids if you didn't know the secret. I don't know if you guys do this in kids church or not. But the louder you shout. The quicker I go. Amen. Oh they didn't get it. It's fine. They're working on it. So John chapter 16. Verse 12 and 13, it says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Bible is clear about the work of the Holy Spirit that he teaches, that he guides, that he reminds, that he testifies about who Christ is, that he hears and that he speaks and even that he declares. The word helper is a Greek word. We get our English word, I should say it in reverse. We get our English word helper from this Greek word parakletos. It means to come alongside. And I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get. 
Do you believe that? (laughs) Amen. They're saying, yes, pastor, you do. You need all the help you can get. Listen, you need all the help that you can get. Counseling's fine. Human wisdom's fine. A book on leadership or what marriage or whatever else is fine. Those things are good and healthy and wholesome. But I'm telling you, there's a bigger missing ingredient. It's like baking a cake without having flour. You can't really accomplish much. God wants to help you. The Holy Spirit's job is to empower you and enable you to live like God wants you to live. And so we, in our, in our brokenness, must reach out for more of who God is. And we must ask, Holy Spirit, come and fill me, help me, strengthen me, use me. So today I want to tell you three things about who the Holy Spirit is. We already said that he is a personal being. We've got to treat it as such. It is, he is not an it, but he is a he. He's given a, a name. The first thing is this. He's my helper. He's my helper. The Holy Spirit is. He will help you know what to say. And he will help you know what not to say. In fact, I think uh, the most I've ever gotten myself into trouble is when I've heard this small, still voice in the back of my mind and I disobeyed it and said what I thought anyway, it gets you in trouble. We could avoid trouble and heartache if we were fully submitted to him rather than going according to our own whims. This is good. It'll help you parent. It'll help you be a boss. It'll help you in your finance. This, this truth that we get ourselves into trouble when we live outside of submission to the Holy Spirit as being our helper. How many of you have ever dealt... Now, kids, don't listen to me right now. Parents and grandparents in the room, how many of you have ever dealt with someone who refused your help? Any, any hands? <laughs> Just out and out refused the help. And you're sitting there going, you know, I, I know, you, I, I wish you'd just listen. But sometimes they have to learn on their own mistake. Think about that. As annoyed as you have been with that person, you are that person sometimes. And we do that against God and his Holy Spirit. Look at what John chapter 16 verse 8 says. Jesus talking, he says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You may think you know what the word convict means or conviction. We share it in spiritual settings or in religious settings and context. We also have it in jurisprudence. The the man got convicted of the crime that he was accused of. When we talk about the word conviction within the spiritual setting, I want you to think of an easier word, and that is this, convinced. So it says, if we read it again in that sort of undertaking, in verse 8 of chapter 16, when he, was co- when he has come, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In fact, if you're reading that like I'm reading that, then it's apparent that we can't even come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ's work on the cross and in the grave unless the Holy Spirit has lit a spark. And caused us to be convinced 
of the state of who we are without him. The next three verses tell us three things he's going to convict us of or convince us of. In verse 9, look at what it says. Chapter 16, verse 9, it says, Conviction of sin because they do not believe in me. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, you will not believe that you need a savior. And people shouting on a street corner with a sign that has a Bible verse on it is not going to convince me that I'm a sinner. God who created me convinces me that I'm a sinner. And the Holy Spirit's work is so valuable in that. In fact, all of us who are believers in this room today came to faith in Christ as a result of the work of God's Holy Spirit. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 says. It says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's job as my helper, the first and primary focus, yes, he wants to help you in every area of your life, but he wants to help you get to Jesus. Amen? He wants to help lead you to Christ. Chapter 16 of John, verse 10, and of righteousness, Jesus says, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. If you're looking at that phrase, you might wonder, well, how does the Holy Spirit convince me of righteousness if Jesus is going to the Father and I'm not going to see him? The way I think about it is this. When we say the word righteous, we need to think about this. Right standing or in right relationship of being made right with God. So he convicts us of our sin that we believe and come to him. And once we believe and come to him, he convicts us and convinces us of our right standing with God. Have you ever felt far away from God? Come on, that's okay. Need some honesty? Someone shouted this morning, I can't tell a lie in church. Yes, you shouldn't tell a lie anywhere, but don't tell one in church, amen? How many of us have ever felt like we were not in right standing with God? We felt far away from him. The Holy Spirit's work to do in our lives is to convince us and to cause us to see our right standing with God. Verse 11 says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. And who is Christ speaking of? Or who is he uh, alluding to in that? In chapter 12 of John, verse 31, it says again, Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Look at what John 14, 30 says. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. So the ruler of the world as we know it, that Jesus is referring to is the enemy of God. Do you see evidence in the world today that the enemy of God is on a rampage? Just nod at me. Yes, okay, great. That's all. You don't have to... I'm not extroverted. I don't know why he keeps telling me to say amen. No, just nod. That's fine too. There's evidence of the enemy of God in the world today. In fact, Jesus is giving his disciples some confidence, though, because he says he basically he's telling them that Satan is about to be dethroned, that through the work of Christ on the cross 
and the grave that Jesus is taking back the authority that was given to the enemy. And Jesus actually says that, and it said about him, that he's come to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he healed the sick and caused the lame to walk again. That's why he brings those who are unsavable, in our opinion, to the place of being on their knees and saved and in right standing with him. Because God, through Jesus Christ, was taking away the authority of the enemy and destroying the works of the enemy. In the verses that we just read, it's clear that he helps me because he convicts me Not only of my sin, but there's hope. Right relationship with God. And then of judgment, giving me confidence to know that Satan has been stripped of all authority. As I went through the preparation of this message, I began to think about the occurrences that talk about the enemy in Scripture. And here's the common thing that I continue to find all the way through. Any, anything that shows up about him, the only authority he has is given to him by permission. He didn't earn it. He wasn't born into it. In fact, if you read the story of Job, which is what I'm alluding to, but there are other places and examples of it as well, that God himself has allowed him some authority. But I think we miss out if we think that we don't give him some authority in our lives from time to time as well. Let me restate that in a different way. You and I as believers sometimes give the enemy authority over us in our lives. You say, well, how how does that happen? I've never sat in my, you know, my lazy boy reading my Bible and thought, yes, I'm just gonna start speaking to the devil right now and tell him he can have whatever he wants. No, it doesn't happen like that. Here's how it happens. It happens through unforgiveness, through bitterness. It happens through a little white lie that turns into a lifetime of lies. It is a lot of different things where we give him permission. When we gossip, when we disobey God's word, we are giving over control to the enemy of God. So stop it. How do you stop it? Be a student of God's word, fellowship with believers, make sure that you're dedicating yourself to developing your relationship with the Holy Spirit so that all authority in your life isn't even possessed by you, but it is owned and possessed by God himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. Those are just three of the many ways that he helps us. Here's point number two about who the Holy Spirit is. This is my favorite point that I've ever preached. He's my friend and he's not weird. I I literally love this thought. He is my friend. The Holy Spirit is my friend. And he is not weird. I think 
I, I don't know. There are a ton of people here. You've got backgrounds in different church settings. You've had different experiences, some great, some bad, some wonderful probably. But I'm telling you, there is this thought that talking about the Holy Spirit makes you weird. Well, welcome to the weird church because <laughs> we're talking about him today. But I don't believe that he is weird. Can I get a loud amen? amen. He is not weird. In fact, and I've said this before, you've met people who talked about the Holy Spirit who were weird before the Holy Spirit. They were weird before he got there. And I'm not judging whether they have or haven't had an experience with him. All I'm telling you is don't blame their weirdness on him. Because my God is awesome. And he's not weird. He does supernatural things. He heals. He saves. He delivers. He guides. He leads. He protects. He's not weird. So don't judge the Holy Spirit by the person that you've met who claims to have had an experience with the Holy Spirit. But I will say this. There are unique experiences that do occur. That do occur. And it's because there is a supernatural God attempting to work in natural men and women. So just because it's uncomfortable, that's the, uh, that's the side part. Just because it's uncomfortable or out of your comfort zone doesn't qualify it as being weird. Think about it. You can be a normal person and believe in the Holy Spirit. I sincerely believe it. And you can know him personally. The other thing I would say is he's not goofy. People have acted goofy with and without him. And sometimes he gets, he gets a bad rap, okay? But he is the very spirit of God. And we need to understand him as such. Here's what I think, and I've shared this before. The only, the only person who would be interested in causing him to look weird would be the enemy of God. Who do you think made whole segments of believers afraid of the Holy Spirit except for that they've had something that was, was or was uh, was or was not goofy or weird. They had these moments or these experiences. They got, a, they got afraid or full of fear. And then they said, well, that, that's not God. There's no way he acts like that. He parts the sea. He multiplies bread and oil. He does all sorts of things that are supernatural throughout scripture. Why can't he do it today? It's a rhetorical question. He can and he does and he wants to use you. But I want you to know that the only one who's interested in making you afraid of the Holy Spirit would be the enemy of God. There are many churches who believe in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit and we are one of those churches. But we don't believe in being weird and blaming it on him. Don't bring that here. <laughs> okay? Be careful. Um, because we do believe that God wants to do great and mighty things and it will be uncomfortable. Trust me, I could take an entire segment and talk to you about some strange things that God has done in my presence and I've seen him do and I thought, oh, what? But it was God 
It's confirmed it was God. God wants to do something supernatural even here at Celebrate Church. Let me say this as a balancing statement because I've preached through a series of messages like this before. Your God, the God that you choose to serve that is the same God that I serve is a unique God, but he's also a God of order. So you've got to read through scripture. Paul even tells the church in Corinth. He says, okay, you guys are having a lot of fun in church and some great things are happening, but there's a little bit of chaos. So let's kind of correct that. Think about it. God loves to show up and show out. It's part of who he is and he just might want to use you. Don't be scared of him. I think something that we've done that is a disservice to God and even dishonoring to him is that we end up kind of relegating the Holy Spirit to just a single thing because we've heard this term, get ready, buckle your seatbelt, speaking in tongues. We've heard that phrase before and because of that like kind of weirds us out and how do you know a different language? What is this going on? And you've got a million different thoughts that go along with it. Just because of that, we, what we've done is we've relegated him to this single thing that we think, eh, that's the weirdest thing about you. <laughs> Instead of recognizing the fact that he leads and he guides, he produces fruit in your life like love, joy, come on kids, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, and gentleness. Okay, there you go. I missed one. He does some great things in our lives. And I believe with all of my heart, he wants to still do something great in our church. I know your life is busy. I know you've been worn down by COVID and the constraints it's put on your family, your job. I know you feel tapped out. But I know that we serve a great God who wants to still show up and show out. In fact, at the end of your rope is where hope is found. In Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit who can strengthen you. He can encourage you. I'm so thankful for his work. Are you thankful for his work this morning? The Holy Spirit is my friend and he's not weird. We said this supernatural activity in natural vessels is always going to present a challenge to your mind. Seeing God work in the here and the now is going to look a little bit strange to us from time to time. But... The third and final point today is this. He's my God. So he's my helper. He's my friend and he's not weird. I've had a weird friend, by the way. We can't talk about that right now. But I know the difference is what I'm saying. And the third is this. He's my God. He's my God. So when I say this phrase, the Father is my God, nobody bats an eye. When I say, I've been saved and set free because of Jesus Christ, God's one and only begotten son, born of a virgin, no less, brought into this world, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose from the grave. There are people who are not believers that still believe Jesus, the historical Jesus, truly existed and did great things. 
But somehow, when I get to number three and say, the Holy Spirit is God, he's my God. When I say that, all of a sudden people are like, mm, you're one of those weirdos. No, don't say that. It was just a joke. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. He is my God. And we as a church, if you haven't gone to Starting Point, you should attend Starting Point. You can find our beliefs posted on our website. You can find it at our fellowships, full website for the nationwide churches, the national churches. We believe in the Trinity, the triune God. We believe in God the Father. We sing about it. God the Son and God the Spirit, three in one. And if you ever had a problem with like, eh, where does that show up, pastor? Let me tell you, because I did my research. John chapter 14, verse 16, all three are present. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is speaking. He says the Father is going to give the Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 26, all three are mentioned. John chapter 15, verse 26, all three are mentioned. So the Holy Spirit is God himself, and he's not an odd uncle. He's, he's not the one that we can't talk about, the one that we know we don't really talk about, the Holy Spirit. But that's how we treat him. I mean, he must be sad if he's not angry sometimes. He must be sad at the state of the church but I believe there's hope. I believe there is the possibility. And you may not know this about your pastor. You may just started coming to the church and you say, well, that's a young couple. I try to say young, I'm 40, got a lot of salt. But that young couple leading that church, well, I enjoy the, the worship and the preaching and my kids enjoy kids' church. and It's just great. You may not know some of our background the schooling, the theology that I studied was in the midst of a modern day revival. It was in a place in Pensacola, Florida called Brownsville Revival. There was a school of ministry that was birthed out of that revival because they had so many people getting saved, set free, and on fire for Jesus, which is the phrase they used. They're just lit ablaze, but then they didn't have any physical like knowledge of like, what do you do? <laughs> Besides just tell people Jesus loves them. Like, how do you? So they had, they developed a ministry training site. That's the college that I went to. I went to services night after night. They had people in lines at five and six in the morning in a church parking lot on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, in the morning in the Florida sun in order to get inside that building because they believed that God was there. I was touched by God. I saw incredible things. I also saw some weird stuff. I can't discount that, but I can tell you I learned to tell the difference and to know that the Holy Spirit is real and that he is my helper, that he wants to be my friend, and that he is God. In fact, I want to tell you as the worship team comes, I want to tell you a few things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. So worship team, would you come and join me? Now, the, what I'm about to share with you is not vague references to the Holy Spirit that we're kind of like pushing and pulling and prodding to try to figure out. 
I can give you the full list of references, but for sake of time, what I'm going to do is just say the phrase that is found or understood in God's word. It may be too fast for you to write them all down, but I want you to hear them today. The Bible says explicitly about the Holy Spirit that he intercedes through us on earth. This morning we prayed for dear friends who have a relative who had, she's young. She had a brain aneurysm. She's been committed to the hospital. They are, they're in the middle of the darkest night of their soul right now. God, through the Holy Spirit, interceded through us today to pray for her before service started. The Holy Spirit wants to intercede through you. The Bible says this about the Holy Spirit, that he calls and qualifies ministers for the work. It's not just whether the pastor at the church you attend has a PhD or an associate's degree or anything in between. It's whether or not he's been marked by God or that she's been marked by God and called to do his work in ministry. Trust me when I say I can't get away from it. It's the Holy Spirit who makes them overseers of flocks. The Bible says this, and I shared it earlier out of John chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit hears, he speaks, he teaches, he guides into all truth. Maybe you have somebody who you've shared the truth of God's word with before, and you've invited them to church and that kind of thing. Maybe we ought to revisit, and instead of giving up hope on that person, maybe we ought to revisit time in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to guide them into all of the truth so that they would see God for who he truly is. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, that he receives from Christ, that he shows us Christ, and that he brings to our remembrance all the words of Christ that we know. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not the synapses in your brain that cause that trigger for the Bible verse you learned in Sunday school. It's the work of God. It's a powerful thought. The Bible says about him that it's better for us that Jesus left so that the Holy Spirit could come. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit shows us things to come. He will and can let us know what lies ahead in our future. That he exposes and helps us to understand the deeper things of God. The Bible says he searches all things and he reveals all things. The Bible tells us that where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. There's freedom. That means if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, if you feel like you're a slave to a sin even after being saved, if you feel like there's no hope and you can't get out of that thing, there's freedom when we ask the Holy Spirit to come in to our lives. There's liberty. The writers of the Bible spoke as they were moved by him and they wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. 
The Bible tells us that we are, we're given clear warnings not to grieve him or to quench him, to, to talk less of him than we ought, that we are not to anger or upset or grieve him. In fact, I've done a little bit of research, but sin against him is unpardonable because he's the only one who can reveal the son of God to us. Unless a man be born of the Spirit, the Bible says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Think about John 3.16. You know it well, and all of us could say it out loud. But in context, John chapter 3 is a conversation that Jesus is having with a man named Nick. And Nick says, well, how is this possible that I can do this? And Jesus shares that truth with him that Unless you are born of the Spirit of God, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we're convicted by Him. We're born again by His work. We're led. We're guided. We're sealed. The Bible says that He has sealed us for eternity. Have you ever picked up something in a Ziploc bag and some of the contents went out because it wasn't properly sealed? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit seals us for eternity. Kind of like the ring of a king that he would dip in wax way back in those days and then seal a letter. It was not to be opened by anyone else. And that's the imagery of God giving that to us as people. That the Holy Spirit is the seal of your redemption on earth right now. So he is amazing. I want you to stand with me. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk more about what he does in our lives, what kind of access we give him, and all the benefits that come along with worshiping and serving this great God of ours. But I really think that there's two types of people that are hearing this message today. There's one in this room, not just one person, but there's one type of people in this room and you, like me, have experienced him and witnessed his power. I am asking you from the bottom of my spirit, from the bottom of my heart, with all that is within me, that if that's been your experience, get on your knees seven days a week and pray that God would come down to celebrate church. Because we need to be revived we need a refreshing touch, not because we just want the heebie-jeebies and the, and the ooey-gooey feelings, but because we're desperate for him. We're so in need of him. Man's wisdom is not good enough. The books that have been written about growing a church are not good enough. But God, in his grace, is good enough. So maybe like, like me, you've experienced him. Maybe there are those who have yet to experience him and you've been scared or you've seen the weird stuff or you've you know, been turned off. I encourage you as that second category of people to open up yourself, study God's word about who the Holy Spirit is and don't stop until you've convinced yourself by his work in you that he is real and that he wants a relationship with you.